0: Welcome to another episode of Mick Doc. As the small boat bobbed in the waves, making its eight passengers continuously sick, and with nothing in their stomachs left to bring up, the thirst was playing with their brains. Dehydrated and weak, melting under the sun and praying for rescue, the octet of Libyan men and women knew they were far from both their departure port of Abu Kamash and their destination of Malta. Italy. It was two days since they crawled into this small wooden boat in the cover of night. They remained optimistic through terrible expectations. Three of their passengers, all much older people, had died along the journey and were cast overboard after being prayed over. Hassam was the de facto leader of the group. He was meant to somehow inspire the courage of Muhammad Ibrahim, Khaled, Fatima, Marwa, Tarek, and Yunus. He kept watch most of the day while the rest huddled under the blankets, covering themselves from the exposure of the sun. They were very thirsty, and the hunger was maddening. It had been two days, and although they fasted each Ramadan under long sunlight hours, it was never as bad as this they had evaporated their rations not long ago. The expectation was to be rescued or reach land by now. They feared that they may have gone off course. They were fortunate to not have encountered difficult waves in the Mediterranean, but if they did not find help soon, they would succumb to a painful demise, one by one. They prayed and prayed for any sight of land. It didn't come. It never came. On day three, not long after sunrise, Khalid alerted the rest that he had seen a glint on the horizon. It was poorly defined, but it was something other than a wave glint, he was sure. They attempted to paddle towards the glint. The makeshift tattered sail usually had done all the work with one hand on the rudder to keep them going straight since they had the energy but they couldn't make the mistake of moving away from it in any direction their compass seemed to no longer be working from that morning when they woke it wouldn't move no matter what direction it was pointed at Mohammed and Khalid grabbed both oars and moved towards the speckle of light dancing on the horizon after an hour and a half of paddling they seemed to be getting nowhere They were not getting closer it dawned on them that perhaps the object was a ship and it was moving away from them they persisted having an object to fixate on would keep them occupied and focused it began to get dark and the last sparkle of the thing faded into the brown of dusk and eventually into black they used muscle memory and intuition to push towards the object It must be going somewhere, somewhere better than here, but for them now to be in their third night in the boat in the narrow Mediterranean, they should have easily hit Malta or Greece by now, not even a coast guard patrol. At this point, they would have been happy to have circled back to Libya. They shared the rowing duties between the eight of them. It was dark with only the reflection of the moon across placid waters providing only the vaguest of illumination they continued to row forward and throughout the air echoing off the barren sea was a deep laugh It moved from direction to direction and was distant and close it had no explanation the women began praying and the men stayed firm and peered across their surroundings was a boat close to them and they couldn't see it then, suddenly, it seemed like hundreds of seagulls rushed overhead, flying away from the boat's trajectory, going into the direction from where they came. My God, what is that? Yallah, man, said Hassam. The rest were too weak to be afraid. They were also too weak to continue paddling. There was no one left to keep rowing, and they stopped defeated, hoping that there would be some sign when they awoke. There had to be. They couldn't imagine many more times to wake. In the blackness, with the moon covered by dark clouds, nothing could be heard, except the water against the side of the boat, lapping against the rotting wood as if it were mocking them to come finally into its aquatic embrace. Then, the boat Struck something. It woke them all. They could see nothing, but they most certainly bumped into something large. With a shake of their flashlight, to eke out the last of its battery, they scanned ahead to a black wall, metal. Then scanned upwards to see they were at the base of a giant container ship. They were elated. They paddled around for a ladder up, and they found it after some time. A diagonal set of stairs that began at the base of the ship's float line. They tied the boat to the stairs, tightly, with heavy rope. They heaved one another up the ship's base. Hassam exiting their little boat last, onto these stairs, and realized only then that it was nearly impossible to walk. Their legs had been useless. They were not ashamed to have crawled part of the way up the stairs until their legs slowly became accustomed to standing. They shouted for help. They took their chances. They couldn't just board a ship with no warning. They could be shot on sight, depending on the crew. No answer. They kept shouting, even louder for help as they crept up the stairs. The stairs were about six stories high and when they reached the top, They gave one more shout across the ship that was covered in stacks of containers. The eight of them stood, dumbfounded. They were happy to be on the ship, out of their floating coffin, but they couldn't understand why nobody had answered their call yet. Even in the dead of night, why were there no lights on, and nobody could hear them? They moved towards the area of the ship that seemed like the main piloting bridge. They made their way up the stairs and expected to see someone on duty. There was no way that the ship wouldn't have a pilot and entire crew on duty steering it. Yet, sliding the door open, it was dark and empty. Something was wrong. They all felt it. What is happening, Hassam? Where is everyone? Why is it all empty? whispered Abdullah. I don't know, Abdullah. I don't know. They saw that none of the equipment was operational. No engine running, no light on any of the pilot mechanisms. They decided to continue looking. They walked down the stairs to the deck again. They moved towards the containers. Then they heard banging. The containers. Something was banging against the inside of the containers. There are hundreds of containers. Labeled with different English names, some Italian, others Japanese. The rest they couldn't see because they were enveloped in darkness. The weakest light was offered by the moon and while the banging was intermittent, it didn't cease. They wondered since they could not drive the ship and there were no people. They had to make a decision to look for food and something to drink and get back onto their own boat. Or remain until rescue came. They didn't feel safe, however. Fatima told the rest that it was time to go. Mohammed said they needed to find something to eat and drink first and then agreed that they should leave. Something was not right. Beyond the craziness that this was an abandoned massive container ship carrying hundreds and hundreds of cargo boxes, least of all, the mysterious banging that sounded wrong. They moved quickly towards the stairs below, next to the bridge ramp. They searched the rooms. Again, empty. Nobody. Not a soul. Perhaps we should split up into two groups and meet back here in 30 minutes. Two groups, Tarek suggested. Yes, let's do this. Ibrahim and Hassam agreed. Muhammad, Fatima and the rest nodded. The halls below deck had doors lining each side and then led to more halls with more doors. They were looking for the kitchen, and luckily, very small red emergency lights in the ceiling were providing some visibility. Muhammad, Marwa, Tarek, and Khalid went in one direction, while Hassam, Ibrahim, Fatima, and Yunus went in the other. Muhammad's group walked slowly away from the primary hall and carefully opened each door empty rooms some blankets and clothes but no food or water just crew accommodations empty some beds made some a mess some items that appeared to have been in mid-use like an iron on a shirt wedding rings on night tables the only signs of life that they saw on the ship was a small tank with a few half-dead fish moving around some fully dead fish that had made their way to the top of the green water. Below it, they weren't hungry enough to eat rotting goldfish in algae-infested water. They kept moving down the hall, checking each room, taking blankets and any useful items they could find, searching for a pantry, kitchen, or mess hall. Some of these migrant travelers exchanged the thought that the ship was breathing murky exhales that were gone before one could identify their existence. They opened cabin closets and searched under beds in the cabins, seeing nothing in the darkness. As they moved to the next room, the battering began up above, and this time, it was apparent that it was coming from multiple locations across the boat's hatch covers on deck, including perhaps the holds below. This alarmed them more, than to have given them any faith that someone might be up there. They held motionless until it stopped, and then gingerly continued. They found a large recreation room with billiards table and half-eaten apples, rotten pints of beer they could not drink even if they were not filled with fungus. Still unnerved by the thumping above, in the silence of sea, on an abandoned ship, they pressed on, Assam and his group checked all the rooms they encountered, mostly equipment and engineering rooms, and then a door with stairs down to the engine room. They descended until they got halfway into the blackness below. They heard a sound, like a metal tool hitting the floor and echoing through the cold, empty, immobilized room. They quickly backed out and shut the door and kept moving until they found the kitchen. Thank God, they all thought, and rushed to the pantry and picked apart the food that was not rotten and took as many cans as they could find and wrapped them into blankets, making a makeshift bag. They left the pantry with their treasure, nearly more than they could carry, but they were thankful. They exited into the hole and from the darkened end of the direction they had come from. In the distance, that identical laughter they heard on the boat, except in this setting, the dynamics echo and tone were different. Hello? <laughs> Eunice said. Is someone there? <laughs> Ibrahim added quietly into the echo saturated hall. Nobody responded. Their hearts were audible in each of their chests. They moved quickly towards the first set of stairs they could find. They rushed up and were on the main floor once more. They shouted for Mohammed and his group. They heard them shout back from overhead on the deck. They found the stairs up and carried their hard-gotten gains. They made it to the top and greeted the others. They all ran to the bridge where they ate as much as they could. Most retched after the first few bites, but continued and gulped down liter after liter of bottled water. They were in good spirits again, regardless of being in the pitch dark and floating in the middle of nowhere, floating on some uninhabited and unnerving vessel. How could so much be forgotten about? Marwa stated, pointing through the window at the containers. It doesn't make sense, added Fatima, shaking her head. If so much time had passed for an abandoned ship long enough for so much mold and decay to form, how could it not be searched for on this narrow sliver of Mediterranean? There would even be leisure crafts, helicopters and planes seeing it in full view, floating unmanned, dark and clearly in distress. None of this made sense, but they took the positive of being fed, finally. They now had to separate by gender to find the toilets. The food had not settled well, nor had the drinking water. It was to be expected after days with an empty stomach. They had some of their sense back, and somehow... They simultaneously thought about the three old people that had died along the way. One had a heart attack and the other two had died of thirst and exposure. Very sad that they couldn't have held on until now. They were close to being saved now, and they felt it. Marwa and Fatima told the boys that they would be right back as they looked for a washroom. Ibrahim and Eunice agreed to go first to find their own men's room in the other direction as Ibrahim recalled passing one in the lower deck, leaving the four men in the bridge, eagerly awaiting the other four's return so they too could get to the washroom. When I get to Europe, I'm going to open a carpenter shop. <laughs> Tarek exclaimed in the silence of the bridge, smiling to Khalid, Hassam, and Muhammad. I will go to school added Hassam, while Muhammad said, I hope that I can find a wife, which caused the others to smile and then finally break out into laughter. (laughs) The laughter was interrupted by a blood-curdling scream from behind the bridge. Rushing down the stairs, they continued to hear the screaming from the rear of the ship. They rushed towards Fatima, who was on her knees sobbing. She ran into the arms of Hassam, who held her by the shoulders and stared at her tear-soaked face. What happened? yelled Hassam. Marwa! She jumped overboard! As she pointed again far down into the dark sea. They ran to the edge and peered down and saw nothing. Fatima clutched her prayer beads and sobbed. Fatima explained that Marwa and her had finished using the washroom, and when Marwa exited, she didn't speak. She stared ahead and walked mechanically upstairs, walking towards the rear of the deck and still wouldn't speak despite calls to Marwa to stop and talk to her. Fatima continually asked what she was doing and that she had to return to the bridge. She just kept walking and when she reached the edge, she turned and looked at Fatima, laughed bizarrely and jumped over into the water. Fatima was hysterical and pleaded that she could not stop her. It was too late. She was gone. Fatima sobbed that she had seemed possessed. Why would she just stare at her, laugh and jump? The men felt helpless, staring over the side of the ship. There was nothing they could do. If they jumped, they could drown. They just shouted into the blackness of the ocean. For her to respond if there was a response they could find a life preserver something and throw it down they shouted and nothing why did she laugh why did she do that we need to get off this thing fatima pleaded come down fatima we will leave Tarek said in a calming voice. All were shocked. They didn't know Marwa too well. They all knew each other very little except for the journey. They had boarded in Abu Hamash and were quiet until the older people faded into death. And they prayed together for them. And that grimly opened the channels of communication. They became closer as they began to suffer together. Making small talk to distract from the thirst and the hunger. They cared enough for one another to want to get off the ship for their own sakes and as they said some words from marwa they all returned back to the bridge to await ibrahim and eunice then they would leave immediately they would get to the stairs back to their boat and paddle on with their newfound revitalization thanks to the newly discovered nutrition and hydration To maximize their fear and confusion on the walk back to the bridge where Eunice and Ibrahim would be waiting, permeating the dark was further banging that most certainly sounded like something inside many of those metalship containers wanting to get out. The rhythm of the banging was organic, not mechanical. The night was featureless, except for the intermittent metallic thuds. The ocean was even silent. The six migrants reached the bridge of the ship where they remained alone. No Ibrahim, no Eunice. They committed to waiting until they returned. Perhaps they hadn't heard Fatima's earlier distress, or they found something that distracted them. They needed to return to the boat soon. The group were desperate to get off this floating horror show. Their stress level amplified with every waiting minute and every thunderous bang below and after the tragic loss of Marwa, their sanity had been tipped on its head. Hassam and Muhammad decided to go out for a search of the boys. They could no longer leave it to the wait. They walked onto the deck and moved around to the rear hold where they had found Fatima screaming. They walk around the containers on the rear hold. They shouted to their friends and there was no response. Then they pushed towards the front and the first shout was met with a loud knocking near the containers. It shook them with a start. They kept yelling for the boys. Banging stopped immediately upon the question. Ahead of them, a wall of containers met the sky. Hard to imagine so much weight could remain afloat. They stood a good thirty meters back from the containers. They intended on walking around them and continuing to shout for Ibrahim and Eunice, They wouldn't let the unfortunate transport of what were probably live animals in these boxes freak them out. Assam shouted for Muhammad to shine the light to the far left of the containers. He saw something that surprised him but couldn't make it out. As Muhammad did, in a split second, something slid into the dark from the light, like a vapor. It was irradiated by the ambience of the night sky. They froze for a moment and walked backwards, more cautious in their alerts to Eunice and Ibrahim, but it had to be done. Then the banging began again. More subdued, but they had to make a choice to continue or go back to the rest. Slowly descending between stacks of boxes clear in the light, slowly materializing shape. But fog like, the shape of a man. They screamed and ran back. If the displaced boys were not back by then, they had to put their foot down and leave. This boat was immersed in the unexplained. Mar was sudden madness, the banging from the holding tanks, and now this thing had terrified them. They would not tell the others about this. There was no reason to cause further hysteria. When they reached the bridge, they explained that they had to leave and that there was no sign of the other two. They couldn't stay. They explained without detail that it wasn't safe. The banging then rose up to a cacophony surrounding them. They felt terrible about what they were going to do, but they needed to get to their boat. They ran across the deck towards the descending external ship stairs, keeping watch around them. They carried their salvaged goods, and as they reached the stairs, anything below twenty or so steps were enveloped in blackness, but they began traveling down, and when they reached the bottom, they stopped, confused. Their boat was gone. The rope was still tied to the rungs of the stairs, but it was torn away, and their boat had vanished. They stood on the stairs, some breathing heavy and shaking in a distressed manner. They accepted they now had no choice but to return back up the stairs. They gently ambled back up the stairs and were halfway up when Tarek screamed violently and as the rest turned to him, terrified of his alarm, they saw that something had wrapped around his ankle and was sawing around it, causing blood to fill the stairs and his feet. They couldn't see anything except what looked like a greyish hand with long fingers wrapped solidly around his ankle. Everything else from the wrist onward was faded into the black of night. Tarek continued to shriek in pain as the other boys grabbed him and tried to pull him away, but his leg was being yanked through the rungs of the stairs, easily three stores up from the water, which didn't dawn on them due to more immediate trauma. This thing... Obscure enough the parts shimmering in the flashlight had made one last yank. And horribly had pulled Tarek through, snapping his pelvis, splitting Tarek's legs apart. And then, with a final horrid scream, he was pulled into the blackness. The others screamed and tore up the stairs for fear of being next. They were now stuck on this ship and had to find another way off. Mohammed, there must be a lifeboat somewhere. Panted Khalid, holding back his fear. Khalid, what do we do when we find one? Go into the water where that thing is? Yelled he back Mohammed. He realized that he was being unfair and put a hand on Khalid's shoulder and said, Let's just see if we can find one. They jogged back to the bridge where they locked the door, hearts beating fast and panting from a terrifying sensory overload. They sat and drank some water, and when they felt that they had composed themselves, they agreed to look for a lifeboat. As they trailed off their discussion, taking last sips of water to lessen the load of carrying more bottles, the lost Ibrahim appeared. In the door window not recognizing him instantly in the dark and startled by the sudden appearance of someone outside assam directed his flashlight at the bridge door window and identified ibrahim but was confused that he was alone they gestured with half smiles for him to come in they were all prepared to give him a strongly worded lambasting for making them search for him and then tell him about Tarek and what horrible thing had befallen him. He stood blank faced he just stared wide eyed at them they yelled at him to get in their patience was wearing thin, they were too tired for these games Then, then as they stared at him, trying to figure out what was wrong Ibrahim screamed an ungodly screech And repeatedly slammed his head into the door until it was covered in blood the group shrieked in horror they ran to the door to stop him and before they could open the door the final slam saw his skull fracture open covering the door's window in fragments of bone mixed into dark blood running down the panel they were horrified and opened the door as his near-dead body stumbled backwards over the rail and plummeted eight meters to the deck. He was dead. Of this there was no doubt. They no longer cared to wait for Eunice, and the four of them ran towards the rear of the boat, where they would expect to discover a life raft. They didn't speak. They had a unified mission to get off that ship. Into the distance, at the side of the ship, near the largest group of containers, in the shadows, but noticeable enough, was the large lifeboat, about twenty meters ahead. They ran towards it, but was stopped when a massive metal bang struck their ears straight ahead next to the lifeboat. They stopped and stared, as the banging erupted until the doors flew open, revealing pitch dark inside framed by the moonlight, charcoal-gray surroundings. The metal container panels were wide open, and as the force stared, backing away slowly, a deep hiss emanated from the space. God help us, whispered Mohammed. Suddenly, immersed in the blackness of the giant box, now visible, was a vaguely whitish, figure. It moved slowly forward producing long, wispish arms that rose out of the box and latched onto the doors of the container to pull itself out. Slowly, it never became fully opaque. Then suddenly, more banging from so many more containers across the deck and the hold below. The figure marched slowly forward, appearing to the group yet still partially transparent to the blackness of the boxes opening behind it. Then finally, Assam shone the light onto it. It covered its face, but the rest of it was slightly more ostensible. It had covered its black eyes with its ghostly forearm as a reaction to the beam of light. Its hands were long with unsettlingly long-clawed fingers that were webbed together. When it slowly lowered its arm and revealed its face, Fatima fainted. The rest of the group gasped, unable to breathe. With no notice of Fatima now laying on the deck unconscious, they tried to make sense of this creature that stood ahead of them. Eyes glossy and protruding, white mouth lined with Exceedingly thin, sharp, pin-like teeth that were crushed together, two slits where its nose must have been. It had no expression, but stared into the light from over fifteen meters away. It was not tangible, it seemed. It was a trick of the light, as it pulsated into visibility and then disappearing into the blackness. Most incredibly, it was hovering inches off the ground. "'What is this?' Grumbled Khaled in disgust. "'They had just noticed Fatima, "'picked her up and pulled her away to the bridge "'and locked the blood-soaked door. "'Their heads were bubbling with insane feelings. "'They found it hard to maintain their course "'with a maniacal laughing mixed into their thoughts. "'They escaped before this thing could penetrate their minds, "'as they must have done with Ibrahim and Marwa. "'The banging continued from all containers.' some were heard bursting open violently. They were terrified. They had to get to the lifeboat quickly and without any further thought. They got Fatima back up and conscious and Hassam explained to her what the situation was in that she, Muhammad and Khalid must make a run for the lifeboat and get into the water quickly even if it meant the long drop down. A fleeting thought to Muhammad That immediately took hold was that there was shockingly no sign of dawn despite the certainty of it being easily late now into the morning so they knew that waiting for it wasn't an option especially with these things whatever they were escaping these metal enclosures they had to run they checked the windows peered across the deck and across any visible space. And although the banging still continued loudly, they ran. They sprinted across the wet deck, watching every dark shadow and looming movement. They were halfway across the deck to the lifeboat, with no sign of these creatures when Fatima stopped dead. As the boys noticed that she stopped, they urged her to keep running, but sensed that something had gotten her attention, and looked. It was young Eunice. Oh no! Eunice! Eunice! Screamed Fatima. Eunice was hanging from a rope, crudely tied, on one of the mast hooks. He had hung himself. What was happening? They thought collectively. What had caused their happy group to succumb to this madness? And why were these things being transported? They pushed on and began untying and removing the clasps from the hanging boat and let it drop to the water below. They had to jump the long way down into the blackness of the sea beneath, shining the flashlight down into the water. They saw the boat awaiting them, bobbing up and down, and first Hassam handed the flashlight to Khalid, and he jumped. Then Fatima. Muhammad urged Khaled to go next, with the shouting below that they were okay. Before Khalid could protest to say that he would go last, Something reached behind Muhammad from the inky darkness behind them, near the mouth of the open container, and yanked him back into the obscurity of the black. As Muhammad screamed, groups of these things giggled demonically back into a terrible unison. Khalid jumped. He landed in the water, nearly missing the two in the boat. They pulled him up and while gasping and spitting out salt water, explained that Muhammad was taken by those things. They were relieved to have left behind this floating nightmare and lamented their friends. They sat, breathing heavily, hearts still pounding and floating rudderless but happy to be away from the ship. It was in the moonlight. They could barely see its name written in white letters as they squinted at the side of the massive, black ship. La Purgatorio. As the ship began to thankfully drift into the distance, in the thought that they were making distance from it, they collapsed, fatigued into the boat, covered themselves in blankets and tried to regain their sanity. It was less than a few minutes when, in the distance from the direction of the ship. The ghoulish chuckling and hooting amidst low moans, they saw slightly visibly. Hundreds of these distant shapes floating down to the water and glide forward quickly, laughing and shrieking. As Hassam paddled furiously, Khalid, unrelentingly pressed the button of the outboard motor, slamming it continuously to start, but it refused to engage. Then horrifyingly, they heard the sound of these things beyond the fog, echoing across the surface of the water, most certainly getting closer. Countless, murderous apparitions, ready to emerge from the viscous fog next to them. They were nearly upon them, and there was nowhere to run. God help us! A panicked Hassam gasped, as he held his prayer beads close to his chest. Weeks later, washed upon the beaches of Malta, a partially uninflated Zodiac lifeboat, empty, prayer beads stuck to its floor with cans of food, wet blankets, and pinkish water in small corners drying in the sun. A sad tale of the tragic loss of eight young people, yearning for new fertile ground and a new life. As captain of La Purgatorio, me and my crew suffered a similar, terrible fate. As my ship was assailed by a sinister force, commensurate of our ship's title, now we lay in deep beds of mud below the sea, Still taunted by the tendrils of evil above the rattling white caps that suspend this demon vessel. May God help any of those that come by this terrible thing. Thank you for listening. Have a nice day.